Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Ray sits down with Peter Kabasik, president and founder of Ark Malibu. What gnaws at your soul? What has God or a loved one pointed out that you know you should do? Do it. It's not some wise word from Peter Joseph Kabasik. It's what God is already saying, and therefore you know gnaws at your soul. Pray and ask God to let you know what that is. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. This is the program where we love to bridge the gap between faith and business. And I am excited because today I am in the city of my favorite lifelong baseball team, the Cincinnati Reds. And it's been a dry spell for a few years as a baseball fan, but I am here in Cincinnati and I have the opportunity to interview, and I'm excited about our conversation today, the president and founder of Ark Malibu, Mr. Peter Kabasik. Peter, welcome to the show. So awesome to be here with you today, Ray. Thank you. Well, Peter, I am really, I've been excited to come have this opportunity to have this conversation with you. And I'm really curious, as I suspect our listeners are as well, I'd love to hear a little bit more of the background and the story about uh, how you ended up, you know, here at, uh, at Ark Malibu, of course, but also in, in this uh, great city of Cincinnati, Ohio. Tell us a little bit about that. So I grew up in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. I was a public school kid. I came to Christ through Young Life. Um, the big journey really started when as a junior leader in uh, February of 1981, I went on an outreach weekend and I brought two buddies and we were going to a ski weekend in Whistler. There was a huge storm came up and the event was canceled, but we went on up uh, and we went bar hopping instead. So I woke up in the morning and God graciously was inviting me uh, to remember what I had already learned, which there was surrender of lordship to God instead of just a fire escape relationship. So in February of 81, as a junior in high school, um, I started that journey. I followed an older brother, Kevin, down to a Cape and Ray Bible school, uh, and it was the best foundation possible for life and for work and for love. And I met a beautiful young Texan there in 1982 and um, graciously I've been married to Miriam now for 33 years. My parents, Mike and Irene, uh, loved and believed in me and prayed for me and taught me that it was all about relationships. There was always someone in our home. Uh, I remember as a little kid, we always had a relative living with us, and that was just the way it was. It was all about relationships. And you ended up going to Pepperdine University out in California. And it is the most gorgeous campus, and uh, Peter, I'm sure that had something to do with your wanting to attend there, but why don't you tell us a little bit of the story of how you ended up at Pepperdine? So I, I was blessed to go to Pepperdine, a little bit of a, a stutter step. So I went down to Cape and Ray Bible School, uh, met Miriam there, 
um, went on from there to John Brown University. Uh, I went from uh, finishing up undergrad to uh, Pepperdine, where I worked in internal audit as I was getting my master's degree. And I uh, had some awesome bosses who helped me learn to listen, ask questions, again, work hard. And uh, my professors and my classmates taught me to expect more of myself. Uh, I had always been the um, uh, captain of everything and uh, a great success, but I was able to coast as I did it. And at grad school, I wasn't able to coast. I was seeing um, people that were as smart as smart could be, and they pushed me uh, to realize I was gifted and produce and uh, develop um, in oh so important ways. So I, I helped form the original Malibu group in 1990, myself and 12 classmates. As we graduated from Pepperdine, we invested together and helped advise people on the side as we gathered our internal resources or professional experience. I was hired by Accenture, again, great training. Um, they taught me that there's great people all over the globe. I had uh, built friendships with people in Turkey uh, and people in Asia and people in Europe that I trained with at uh, St. Charles and that people are um, uh, people of peace all over the globe. I was hired by Accenture's largest client, Nestle, and again, had an awesome experience. Uh, they were all about people. My wife and I still laugh about the welcome gifts. It was like every week we would get a new gift from Nestle. And that what they were doing was they were trying to share with us what they were so proud of, which was being the world's largest food company. Um, I had awesome bosses in Charlie and Marianne and Eric and Kenton and Kevin. And uh, what they taught me, again, was it's all about relationships. Charlie was my first boss. He developed cancer. And he had only been at Nestle three or four years. But in the year that he battled cancer, they paid his full salary. And when he died, his wife was paid a year's salary post-death. And his four kids had their college scholarships funded. Wow. Nestle didn't need to do that, but they were communicating. They didn't communicate that out. I was friends with Charlie and his wife, and I went to their home, and uh, they shared that story with me. That wasn't something Nestle shared. Um, but it was all about caring, and it was all about um, living out what God would say was a true faith. So one of the key things I learned at Nestle was um, I wanted to get into M&A. But because I graduated from Pepperdine, not Stanford, not Harvard, not Yale, I was not able to get into the M&A or the corporate development group. But I started the Nestle Crunch hockey team. I've been a hockey player all my life. Uh, while I worked at Nestle, I played every Tuesday night with the Hollywood stars, with uh, Kiefer Sutherland, a, a lot of the guys in Hollywood, that Mike Myers, that played um, every Tuesday night. And I developed the Nestle Crunch hockey team, and my future boss was a diminutive Chinese Canadian who saw in me taking um, the horns on the uh, starting of the hockey team leadership, encouragement, problem solving, and then he got me promoted into the MA group, the corporate development group. I got recruited to go work for a company called the Lowen Group, which was in uh, Cincinnati. And again, I had great bosses, George and Bruce and Tim, who loved and stretched and exposed me to oh so much. Uh, they are brilliant strategic thinkers, and they are relational superstars. Uh, they loved humanity, and they um, also exposed me, because it was a large public corporation, to people that lied and cheated and did stuff that I was amazed at. 
But as I worked in that environment at Lowen, I had the opportunity to travel around the country. I looked at buying over a thousand companies and I helped them grow from 250 million in revenue to 1.2 billion. And it was an awesome um, exposure to um, uh, people think differently. Um, so all along, my buddies of the Malibu group, we kept investing together and we helped several people buy companies. And Hudson, our uh, oldest, was born August 23rd, 1997. A week later, I called the original guys and said, we've all talked about doing this full time and I'm ready. And they said, go, Peter, go. Wow. So um, I resigned and I started a, a new Malibu group in um, Ohio. And we started advising clients on um, how to do deals. So that's the story of the start. Now, the name Arc Malibu, tell us a little bit more about sure. that. This is fascinating to me. Sure. So the Arc part is the Associates of Robichaux and Kabasic. I am blessed to have uh, one of the most gifted M&A uh, bankers in the country, the only one that I know of that has been the CEO of a New York Stock Exchange and a NASDAQ company and spent 15 years on Wall Street, Renee Robichaux. So the associates of Robichaux and Kabasic. But every transaction is um, a storm and a safe place in the midst of a storm is an arc. And then the Malibu comes from the original Malibu group, um, the guys that I started working with 28 years ago. Out of Pepperdine. Out of Pepperdine. Okay, fantastic. That, that, thank you. That gives us a great foundation. And now, so I hear the term investment banker, right? And we hear that term. So Peter, help us understand what it is that you do as an investment banker, who you represent, what success looks like, and walk us through that so we can understand that. Sure. For those that are a little more interested, uh, Renee and myself and another gentleman, Bill High, wrote a book called Sell Well. And Sell Well really walks through um, all the key issues around um, how do you sell your business well. So an investment banker, in our case, a sell-side investment banker, what we do is we help companies prepare so we try to look at their financials. We look at their go-to-market, their competitors, their market positioning. We look at their operations, and then we look at their culture, their values, their beliefs, and their habits. When we understand the company like that, Ray, then we're able to communicate to the buying population, which are strategics, private equity, and family offices. Um, here is a company that has these characteristics. And when you are able to communicate what a company's characteristics are in their values, beliefs, and habits, culture, their operations, their go-to-market, and their financials, then you're limiting the risk on the buying population. Uh, Clay Christensen of Harvard says that almost 80% of all transactions that are completed fail to accrete value to a buyer. And the key reason is there's no strategic focus, there's no cultural alignment, or you pay too much. We as the sell-side advisors don't care if they pay too much, mm -hmm. but we do desire that they know what the culture and they know what the strategic focus is. So an investment banker uh, on Wall Street does things differently than us. They would do IPOs, they would do buy-side they would make markets in stock. What we do is solely focused on helping family-owned businesses prepare to exit and accomplish the exit, finding them the right long-term buyer. 
Well, fantastic. And so, Peter, a good percentage of our audience here at Bottom Life Faith, they're business owners, okay? Family-owned businesses, I think that's your area of focus, if I'm not mistaken, right? And so let's say that uh, somebody's listening to our conversation and the thought has just started entering their mind, hey, I'd like to position my company someday for us to sell it, okay, or transition it. Is now too soon to start thinking about that? How far out should I start thinking about that? What are some of the basic blocking and tackling things that we could communicate to someone who's thinking such a thought? So the the number one thing that um, we would always recommend to them is there is no time too soon to prepare that if you truly understand what your value drivers are of your company, what your desires are for yourself, your family, the stakeholders, the company, then you can be best prepared. Um, You never know when someone's gonna come in with an unsolicited offer. And if you've done the hard blocking and tackling of understanding your financials, understanding your go-to-market, understanding your operations, and understanding your culture, then you're gonna be prepared. So our position, our thought is every company should sell to who they believe is the best possible match. And they need to come up with, are they looking for maximum value? Are they looking for a long-term sustainable home for their company? Are they looking for growth for their employees? Are they looking for legacy? What is it they're looking for? And if they answer those tough questions ahead of time, then they will have a great leg up and the opportunity to be successful upon exit. A big thing that we often talk about and we help people um, meet people, uh, like a gentleman by the name of Dan Peters, who helps people vision around what's next, visions around um, the next chapter of life. A lot of people are doing what they do because their dad or their grandfather or their great-grandfather decided that's what their family would do. Right. And Dan helps people realize that your next chapter of life could be your best chapter of life. You just kind of know what your options are. Amen. Outside of what you've kind of been doing for so long. Yep. Okay. So uh, that's very helpful. I really appreciate that. And you mentioned the book. It's called Sell Well. If I'm listening, where could I pick up a copy of that? Um, 100%. You can get that on Amazon. You can get it as a um, um, hard copy, as a um, a Kindle, or as a... um, Audio? Audio. Okay. So, Peter, thanks for the background on your faith journey and kind of how you got things going here at Ark Malibu and a little bit about what you do. What I'd love to do now is begin to transition more kind of in your personal journey of experience and, and lessons learned and so forth. So as you, if you had to put a number to it, would you, do you have any feel for how many deals you've been involved with over the years in your company? Just a ballpark? Yeah. Um... Uh, in my career, I've uh, touched more than a thousand transactions. More than a thousand transactions. Okay, so I'm going to now tap into that that gray matter in there for memory. As you kind of think back over the course of your career, if you had to go back to like one experience or one uh, thing that you've done that you said, "Boy, I wish I would have done that one a little bit differently." What comes to mind? What would be a mistake that you'd like to have done differently? Uh, it's interesting. Um, the whole concept of uh, what would you like to do differently? Um, sometimes I, I look at myself and um, think I'm going to focus on what I am and um, where I'm going rather than what I would change. 
I love that, by the way. Yes. There's lots of stuff that um, I, I wish hadn't happened. Uh, but what I've decided is I'm going to focus on um, God allowed me to go through everything I've gone through. And that uh, within that, I have the joy of um, lots of battle scars. Um, I have met with a, um, a gentleman that was a former CEO of a public company every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. for the last 15 years. And he and I met this morning and we were laughing about where we started and that today we are so different that um, we are seeing joy and thankfulness like we didn't 15 years ago because we simply were focusing on what we were doing wrong uh, rather than what God was creating in us. Uh, one of the questions you had asked me um, in the email was the hardest decision. Yeah. So a number of years ago, uh, we were accused of misuse of funds. And we were investigated for months, and there was found that there were no funds taken by me or my team, and that millions had been taken by others. And the tough part was learning that we had to defend ourselves. We um, had to forgive, uh, but utilize brilliant, passionate advocates to watch our back. There were lies and more lies uh, but as the, um, the investigation went on, it became very clear that the people that were lying were just trying to distract. Mm -hmm. And our natural inclination as believers was, were potentially supposed to offer our left cheek after our right, right cheek was struck. But what we learned in the process was that God was asking us to take the time to pray about it and to bring in advocates um, to help protect us. Uh, so that was a extraordinarily hard um, period. We didn't go looking to correct the picture. Uh, we did pray and forgive and to only speak what God was saying uh, to speak. And we had advocates that uh, did the hard slogging for us. Well, in that, in that, chapter of life, what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about your relationship with your heavenly father in that time frame? Yeah, it was good. Um, <laughs> so it was one of the hardest times of, uh, hardest seasons. So within a matter of uh, months, Ray, we had uh, been accused of the misuse of funds. I had um, cancer discovered. Oh, wow. Um, we had been evicted out of our uh, business location, uh, long story, but the person that accused us of misuse of funds, uh, we had sublet from them and they had not been paying the landlord. And three or four other things that were just, could have potentially been um, enders. And what, um, as I sought God, what God said to me was, Peter, I didn't say it was gonna be an easy life. I said I was gonna be with you. Uh, I didn't promise you a, a bed of roses. Uh, there would be times that it would be uh, beautiful, but there would be other times that it would be difficult. And I came to an agreement with God that, um, yes, I agreed with that. And um, it was the day before that I found out I had cancer that I um, had agreed with God that um, uh, he was God and I was not and I trusted him. So the next day I go to the, the dermatologist and they tell me I have skin cancer. And I say to God, 
so seriously. Uh, we're having to re-have this discussion the next day. And he laughed with me and said, no, we don't have to have the discussion. We agreed yesterday I was God and that you were going to trust me. And things were going to be hard um, and things were going to be beautiful. So in the midst of that, uh, my beautiful wife, my kids, uh, many friends came alongside us. And it was um, glorious in you could only trust God. As everything was swirling, um, the only place was to trust God. So um, this morning, my, uh, my mentor and accountability partner was reminding me of a gentleman by the name of Tad Lawrence. And Tad has been a legend in Cincinnati for a long time as a um, wise, biblically astute money manager. And Tad has been um, battling cancer for several years. And um, he made the comment last Friday that um, he had never had the joy that he has today in his entire life. Uh, because he realizes that his time is near and he is enveloping God's love and he's touching everyone he comes into contact with. So Tom Dewey and I decided that we didn't want to sit in um, Tad's feet or shoes, but we did want to take his lesson, which is um, enjoy God in all situations and have the joy of God in all situations. That's real stuff. I, I'm just taken back. I, I didn't know about the cancer in your own journey and the things that you've shared. I'm, I'm grateful that you've shared them, but it also is quite revealing. That stretched you. That brought new, new heights of intimacy with the Lord, right? And so as you've now, how long ago was that, Peter? That was uh, approximately six years ago. Not that long ago then. No. Not that long ago. It was, uh, it was funny. Uh, Tom was making the comment as we, um, we talk about what is God saying. And God has been saying to me over and over and over, he loves me. As um, I read the Psalms and I read the Proverbs almost every day, and he talks about anointing my head with oil. Yeah. And the intimacy of the relationship that he desires to have with me. And when I slow down and I listen, I hear him whisper and I hear him yell. I love you, Peter. And I would not trade all those mucky muck issues because in the midst of those is where I learned to hear his voice. And there's been many um, opportunities to have spectacular interactions with the creme de la creme of society. And it's within those that I am real and I am who God created me to be. And I am focused on God, not focused on um, the creme de, de la creme of society. Wow. Incredible. And so, Peter, as you know, that part of your journey, along with everything else that you've been through and worked on over the course of your career, what are some of the proven biblical principles that you now bring into the company and frankly, into the deals that you're, you know, in the midst of in the transactions? Sure. What are those guiding principles for you? Sure. So my life verse is Matthew 10, 16, be as gentle as a dove and as wily as a serpent. And I work in an environment where uh, billions of dollars at times are at stake. And many people will do and say anything to get the leg up. Um, where small words included or excluded in the deal uh, can change the meeting of the agreements. And I have to be balanced Oftentimes people will say, 
recognizing the wily as a serpent part, but the gentle as a dove, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's living that out and remembering that God creates us to do what he's created us to do. In my case, be an investment banker. The second um, is Proverbs 27, 17. Um, iron sharpening iron. So the thing that you've heard me say over and over and over is relationships, relationships, relationships. By God's grace, I have um, about 12,000 people's names in my phone. And I have loved to build relationships since I was a kid. And I have friends uh, that I go back in Vancouver and I'll be with three of my friends that I was in uh, third grade with. I have uh, friends from Nestle that I'll spend time with in Vancouver. I have friends that I built relationship in um, uh, Sydney, Australia that I'll see in Vancouver. I'm always investing in relationships because God shares it as a mandate that it's not an individual game. If we don't have brothers, sisters, mentors, prayer warriors, caregivers on our team, we're subtracting from our defense. The last thing is a recommendation that's been made to me from my Uncle Bill, who I love, um, who's since passed, is build relationships with everyone in your path. I would caddy for my Uncle Bill, and one week it would be the bank president, the next week it would be a janitor. And he always said, you never know which relationship really is going to prove out. And I have seen it where the bank president's helped, and I've also seen it where the janitor's helped. When something's going wrong and the janitor knows that I care and he comes to help me. So make time to build, but also maintain relationships. Um, I have dear friends in Asia. And when I go to Asia, I make time to go spend time with them. And it's delightful. And so you have been uniquely wired, uniquely gifted. You've talked about, you know, you're you're running in a, in a sphere of very, very highly successful, highly... Um, affluent individuals, right? How do you stay grounded in that? How, how do you maintain um, your faith, not only in that, but even sharing your faith with folks who may not necessarily place their faith in the Lord, but in the world? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the grounding, Ray, from my experience, is um, I have enough failures um, in the past and in the present that I'm reminded that I'm not perfect. So when you negotiate (laughs) transactions, you're not going to win every point. And oftentimes, um, the other side um, launches forward with glee when I lose a point. And I say, let's go to the next point. Because I'm not crippled by failure. I realize that I will um, fall short. And I have the opportunity to laugh and um, be at peace and continue on. So one of the key things within that, um, me being grounded, is I have mentors. Uh, Many people that know me well would say that I need as many mentors as I have because I am a Canadian hockey player that's an investment banker. So in words, um, I could run on the wild side. probably have 25 plus wise men and women who um, are blessers of my soul, encouragers, um, tell me I need help when I need help, 
tell me to suck it up and grow thicker skin when I need to. Uh, tell me God has created a very unique creature in uh, mm. me to take care of um, myself because otherwise I won't be able to invest and take care of others. So part of the uh, bounding is uh, mentors and the other is mentees. I'm always willing to give back when I'm asked. But what I ask is if I'm giving more than you're giving in the mentoring relationship, I'm backing out. Don't come unprepared. I don't have time. And if you do what we agree to do, it'll be a beautiful relationship. If we don't, I'll slap you on the back and you can go on. <laughs> Find someone else. <laughs> uh, the other thing is I play hockey a couple of times a week and I play with rough and ready Canadians for the most part. Um, and for most people that are listening, don't quite understand what that is. Um, Canadians, uh, you uh, laugh and think of us as saying please um, and saying um, a boot and a and being genteel. But uh, most Canadians are very rough and ready, particularly around the hockey rink. <laughs> and uh, they make fun of everyone, whether you're a, a neuroscientist, an investment banker, or um, a bum. And there's lots of bums that play hockey. <laughs> um, everyone's equal at, uh, at the pond. So it's a great grounding. <laughs> that is great stuff. Well, I would be remiss, Peter, if I didn't ask you about something I know you're passionate about. In addition to hockey, you've talked about your faith, but you are seriously passionate about the issue of stewardship. Uh, you, you, have, you invest in this idea, in this concept. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like, how you do that, why, and kind of who's involved with that. So... About uh, six years ago, myself and uh, my YPO, Young Presidents Organization Forum, went down to the Dominican Republic to support one of the guys that was adopting a child in the Dominican. And while we were down there, we met with several nonprofits. And what we discovered was um, uh, a number of those nonprofits um, told us that not everybody um, in Latin America utilized the funds to the best potential uh, utilization. And they talked about stewardship. And I was convicted um, as I listened to the stories that there needed to be a giving concierge, someone that would be able to help people understand the best uses of the funds that we're going to give. So when I came back to the States, I'd been blessed to be part of an organization called Legacy, Leaving a Legacy for Your Children. Um, and other organizations that pushed me around stewardship. And I called a lot of the people that were extraordinarily wealthy and were giving a million, five million, 20 million, 300 million a year away. And as I interviewed them, I asked them simple questions. Why do you give? How do you determine where you're going to give? And how do you know that you are a good steward? And as we all know, we're going to be held accountable before the Bema seat of Christ when we get to heaven on how did we utilize the resources he gave us. And what I discovered was a large portion of Christians are guilt givers. They're giving to be covered by the blood, but they're not giving joyfully or they're not giving in wise ways. If they write a check to the United Way or some other organization that could be good, but it might not be great. Um, there's lots of the United Way chapters yeah. that are great, but yeah. others that aren't. Yeah. So as I did that research, I started getting asked 
can you speak on this? So I would speak to groups uh, within Young Presidents Organization and other places about my findings. And people would ask me, who are the giving concierges? And there are uh, about a half a dozen around the country at least, um, some very good ones. There are also some that are just doing it as a business. So what, what, what I always try to find, Ray, is excellence. And as I did that analysis, more and more people would say, I want to learn more. So rather than me, Peter, and a Canadian investment banker in Cincinnati that doesn't have the biggest platform in the world trying to speak to these groups, I partnered with uh, Bill High of Signatory and uh, now Brad Benbow of uh, JDA and my partner, Renee Robichaud. And we have held uh, events with people like David Green or Senator Steve Daines or around the opening of the Museum of the Bible and at the Ark in Northern Kentucky. And we've had probably close to 500 people in groups as small as 10 and groups as large as 150 have the opportunity to hear uber successful people, U.S. Senators, David Green, Steve Green, people that have given away three, four, five, ten billion dollars talk about stewardship versus ownership. And rather than me sharing the story or the learnings, it's having uber successful people communicate that. And it's been a great joy. Uh, and there's some people in my sphere of influence that had probably never given a million dollars in their life and have since given five, 10, 20, 30, a hundred million dollars. And it, it's not that um, Peter gets the credit, it's that God gets the credit and God moved the hearts. I view myself, Renee views herself as a connector and we're connecting people that have the capacity to learn around um, the heart, the joy, the pleasure of giving. And, and are you finding in this journey, you know, there's one thing to be a giver, and Jesus talks about this, but there's another thing to be a sacrificial sure. giver. What's the difference in your experience? Hmm. Well, I don't hang out with too many widow's mites where they're giving 100%, but some of these guys are giving um, uh, 20, 40, 50% of their wealth to nonprofits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if the average American is giving less than 3%, these people are giving tens and tens of millions of dollars and huge percentages yeah. of their wealth. And are you seeing heart transformation? Because that's really what it's got to be about. It, it, very few people write a check for seven figures, eight figures, nine figures, unless there's a God transformation. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I love uh, that. there are people that have the capacity to do that and have made pledges to do that that are not necessarily moved by God for it. But um, I am seeing a lot of people that are being moved by God. It's got to be quite rewarding for you personally, transforming oh, for you. It's, um, it's an absolute joy, Ray, to see that um, how God created me to be around joy and encouragement and relationships that I have the opportunity to see um, what God's doing. So, Peter, it has been a joy to just hear this journey that you're on, how God has uniquely positioned you working in a very specific sphere of society. 
I have one question that I ask every guest here at Bottom Line Faith, and it's always my last question, and, but it's based out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the words of Solomon who writes, above all else, guard your heart. So Peter, if you could just kind of fast forward and think about, you know, you're towards the tail end of your time this side of eternity, you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, those who are most precious to you, and you get to pass along that one piece of advice. So fill in the blank for me, Peter, above all else. So it was fun praying last night. And uh, what I felt God say very clearly was they already know. Um, What gnaws at your soul? What has God or a loved one pointed out that you know you should do? Do it. It's not some wise word from Peter Joseph Kabasik. It's what God is already saying and therefore you know gnaws at your soul. Uh, pray and ask God to let you know what that is. Um, it, it's funny. The other thing that came to mind was um, I don't know very many successful Christian business leaders that have not been approached by a church, a ministry, or some other nonprofit and told they are supposed to come work with them. And my gut is most of us in the business world have unique ministries in the business world. And unless God speaks to us that we're supposed to go into ministry, um, do what he built you to do, which is probably to stay in the business world and have that as your platform. What gnaws at your soul and only do what you feel God is saying for you to do, not what others are saying for you to do. Peter, that, that's incredible. I've done nearly 100 episodes now of Bottom Line Faith, and I wrote that down. That is one of the most profound. That was revealed to you. I can tell. That was profound. God's already speaking it. It's just a matter of obedience. Amen. Not fancy, but it's true. Fantastic. Peter, thank you for being our guest here today at Bottom Line Faith. What a blessing. Thank you. My pleasure, Ray. Uh, blessings to all those that heard this. And if there's anything I can do to help, always happy to. Just before we go, how can they learn more about you or the company here at Ark Malibu? What's the best way? So the best way is on our website, uh, www.arkarkmalibu.com. Uh, to understand our philosophy, uh, Sell Well is available at Amazon. I think it's $4 for a, a Kindle version. Uh, and always happy to talk. Well, folks, we hope you have enjoyed our conversation with Peter today. We're just so grateful that you've joined us for this episode of Bottom Line Faith. Until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to faithfully follow the Lord's leading in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.